Aloha and welcome to Conversations to Enlighten and Heal. Today we'll be talking about conscious evolution and how to dream a new dream. I'll be speaking with internationally renowned cellular biologist Dr. Bruce Lipton, author of the best-selling book, The Biology of Belief, Unleashing the Power of Consciousness, Matter, and Miracles, and his most recent book, Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future, and a Way to Get There from Here. Conversations is sponsored by HealthMasterySystems.com, Holistic Products for Body, Mind, and Soul, and PurePlantEssentials.com, Organic Aromatherapy. Please visit these websites today. Be sure to visit the iTunes Store and subscribe for the complete lineup of shows on Conversations to Enlighten and Heal. A recognized authority in bridging science and spirit, Dr. Lipton's early pioneering studies in epigenetics prove that we have a choice as to which of our genes we turn on and off. By choosing a healthy environment for ourselves, meaning our lifestyle choices, the foods we eat, the thoughts we think, we activate genetic potentials within ourselves. Dr. Lipton is the winner of the 2009 Goy Peace Award in recognition of his pioneering work in the field of new biology. The annual Goy Peace Award honors individuals and organizations in various fields that have made outstanding contributions toward the realization of a peaceful and harmonious world for all life on planet Earth. Dr. Lipton is an award-winning lecturer and well-known guest in the media on TV and radio, as well as a popular keynote presenter. To learn more about Dr. Bruce Lipton and his pioneering work, please visit his website, where you can also learn about his upcoming events, subscribe to his newsletter, and more. That website address is brucelipton.com. Please welcome to the show my very special guest, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Aloha, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. I so appreciate a, a chance where we can uh, talk about a positive future and how we can get there. Yes, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you with us. In your work, The Biology of Belief, Unleashing the Power of Consciousness, Matter, and Miracles, you write about how a scientific epiphany resulted in an instantaneous personal transformation. What insight did you have, Bruce? Well, uh, a little bit of a background before that epiphany, I was uh, teaching at a medical school. I was a professor and teaching basic science about the nature of cells and how they work and giving the students the conventional spiel about uh, DNA and genes controlling our lives and that our traits and uh, characteristics are somewhat predetermined in our heredity, etc. And while I was doing that, I was um, uh, experimenting and uh, with muscular dystrophy research and I was growing stem cells and tissue culture and, and this is uh, just to get people a, a time frame here this was 40 years ago there were not many stem people stem cell people at that time and uh, I had the option or opportunity of learning how to do stem cell cultures and I would put a single cell into a petri dish a single stem cell which is the equivalent like an embryonic cell it doesn't have a fate assigned to it yet and I would put it in a tissue culture dish and grow them and the significance is that the cells would divide uh, every 10 hours about. So I'd put one cell in a Petri dish, and 10 hours later it would be two cells, and 10 hours after that, four, and it would double, eight, 16, 32. In a short time, I'd have thousands of cells in the Petri dish, and all cells were genetically identical because they came from the same parent. But then what I'd do is split the population up into three three different Petri dishes. So i just take genetically identical cells and put them in three different dishes, and i change the environment uh, in the case of cells, that would be the equivalent of culture media, uh, the constituents of the environment uh, in the, each of three of the different dishes. So I had three different environments. In one dish, the cells form muscle. In one dish, they form bone. In the third dish, they form fat cells. And, and it's just like you, know, you don't have to be too much of a rocket engineer to figure this one out. The question is, well, what controls the fate of the cells? Well, I'm teaching genes control the fate of the cells, but here's an experiment where all the cells were genetically identical, and yet their fate, whether it was muscle, bone, or fat, wasn't based on their genetics. It was based on their response to the environment. And so all of a sudden it said, no, the genes didn't control the fate of the cells. It's the environment that influenced the fate of the cells. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Here I am teaching genes control life, and yet the cells are revealing. No, life was controlled by the environment the cells found themselves in. So my research was then trying to figure out, well, how does a cell do this? Because I'm teaching genes control life, and apparently there's a control that's other than the genes. And basically what my research led to was an understanding that the skin of the cell 
the membrane of the cell, which is equivalent of our skin, uh, was the, is the actual brain, that the cell was responding to environmental signals picked up by receptors in the skin and then adjusting the biology to match the environment. And, and the parallels here is that a human is uh, the same as a cell in the sense of biology. Our skin is actually the source of our brain. And it's so basically the cells and humans adjust their biology by how they perceive the environment. Mm -hmm. So basically what I recognize is how we perceive the environment, how we see the world determines our genetics. Well, this is now a new field of biology called epigenetics. Uh, what almost everybody in the audience has been programmed with and what I was teaching was something called genetic control, which means control by genes. You tell me about a characteristic and I'll say, yeah, there are genes that control that trait. And so science has been focusing on identifying the genes. The new science is called not genetic control, it's called epigenetic control. And this is a profound difference because epi means in Latin above. So I, I say the word epidermis. That means above the dermis, that's the skin. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I say epigenetic control, literally that says control above the genes. And that science is what I saw 40 years ago, is that the control was not in the genes. The control was in the perception, how the cell sees the world, and that's how it adjusts the genes. And the same thing occurs in our body, that the cells that make up our body, 50 trillion of them about, their fate is determined uh, in the same way, how we see the environment. And so where the skin of the cell was reading the environment, this is the same with ours. Our, consider our, our skin is our eyes, our nose, our taste buds, our touch receptors, pain, pressure, all these receptors that read the environment are built into our skin. So we're like the cell. The relevant difference and the profound difference was this, is that the story I was teaching, genes control life, genetic control makes us victims because we didn't pick the genes, we can't change them, and they control our lives. The new science that the cells were revealing were called epigenetic control revealed the genes are potentials, but the, the nervous system of the cell, in this case the skin of the cell, reads the environment and then adjusts the potentials, adjusts the genes to fit. And that now applies in this new science called epigenetics to us. The cells that we have in our body, the genes that control their fate, are influenced by how we see the environment. So when I say genetic control, you're a victim because genes override you. When I say epigenetic control, it says, wait, you're a master because it's how you perceive the environment that adjusts your genes, which means if you change how you perceive the environment, you change your genes. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we become masters of our genetic fate, not victims of it. So the new science led me onto this path. And while I was getting onto this path and recognizing that, oh, the skin of the cell uh, is reading the environment just like our brain and nervous system reads our environment, and then the readings are converted into biology just like the readings which are picked up by our mind are converted into our biology. Uh, I, I recognized something that blew me away because uh, here I am in the field of science because I'm, I didn't really believe in spirituality. I just thought, oh, look, it's just a biological machine, biochemicals and genes, and you put it together, and it's a machine we got here by accident, genetics, etc. I'm teaching that as science, and then when I'm tracking down how the membrane works, the skin of the cell, I realize the thing that makes each human different from each other, why no two humans are the same in this regard, is that on the surface of our own cells, there are a set of antennas, like little miniature television antennas that pick up a broadcast. Uh, medicine studies a group of these, and, and medicine calls them self-receptors. Mm -hmm. And basically what it says is this, our cells are picking up an identity via these receptors, like your eye picks up light. The light isn't in your body, the light's from the outside. The eye picks up the signal and translates it into information in our brain, so we see things. Or our ears pick up a sound on the outside, but the, the nervous system converts it into a vibration in our brain that we can see things. So uh, basically what, what this really is coming down to is that our thoughts and our beliefs about life are converted by our brain into chemistry that controls our cells. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that, and yet I also said, but each one of us is different. And I said, but why are, why are two people different? It wasn't so much what's inside the cell, 
It's the antennas that are different on the outside. They're like a little combination lock. Mm -hmm. So my cells are receiving a broadcast on a set of antennas that no other human has the same set. Mm -hmm. You have a set of antennas on your cell receiving a broadcast like an identity that nobody else is receiving that set. Every person in the audience has their own set of antennas receiving their own equivalent of a station. And I said, well, where do the stations come from? Well, they come from the environment, which involves the invisible forces from the sun and the planets and the universe and everything. So it's a large invisible source. But what, the relevant that hit me at that moment, that epiphany moment, I stood there and looked at the nature of how the cell membrane worked as a nervous system, and I recognized that each human has a different identity because of a set of antennas. But the antennas are on the outside reading that identity, and I said, oh, my God, my identity is not inside the cell. My identity is a broadcast coming into the cells. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wait, I'm like a television set. My body is like this three-dimensional television set. I'm receiving a broadcast on these antennas, and I'm playing the Bruce show. And and then like a television, <laughs> the, the analogy hit me and said, wait, if you're watching a TV show and the picture tube breaks and so the television, the image is gone, uh, you would say, the television's dead. And I said, yeah, like, the, well, the, the television's dead. But then the question is, if a television dies, did the broadcast die? And the answer is, of course not. You can get another television, plug it in and turn it on, and when you tune it to the same station, boom, it's back on the air. And what hit me was, I'm playing the Bruce Show. The Bruce Show is not inside of me. It's a broadcast coming in. And, and the significance about that was, I said, well, wait, then if my body dies, did the broadcast die? And the answer is no. And in fact, if a future embryo shows up with the same receptors that I happen to have on my cell today, that future individual will be downloading the same broadcast. Mm -hmm. I'd be back on air. And so here's a guy who moments before this realization hits is so like no spirituality not believe in any of that stuff looking at this nature of this machine and the moment I saw how the mechanism worked I said oh my god I'm not in here I'm outside I'm a broadcast and that that this is like you step into the body and then you have the experience of living in a body and, and it was interesting because when this duality of my, my broadcast state, which is an invisible broadcast, like a television broadcast, and my physical state, which is my body, uh, I, I was pondering and thought, well, why have both? Why have a spiritual body and a physical body? And, and the joy that, uh, that came uh, from, from the answer to that, which came from my own selves, uh, it was interesting because in response to asking myself, you know, my mind, uh, why have both? The response came back was, well, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? Mm -hmm. Or, Bruce, if you're a spirit, what does a sunset look like? Or, or Bruce, if you're a spirit, what does being in love feel like? And I realized, mm -hmm. oh, my God, the physical body uh, converts the world we live in into sensation. Sensation experience. The experience. Mm -hmm. So, basically, it says uh, our, we exist as an energy... But when we are tuned, when our body is tuned to pick us up like a broadcast, we come into the body. And when we come into the body, not only are we creating experiences, but we are then experiencing the sensations and converting them, the sensations via the nervous system into electromagnetic vibrations, which is what we are. Mm -hmm. And so we're converting our real world into uh, brain waves, and that's where our sensation comes from. So it's like, oh my God. The body is an extension of the spirit that allows us to come into a physical plane, create and sense the world. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh my God, it turns out that Earth is like heaven, that we have an opportunity to step into a virtual reality machine called the human body mm -hmm. and experience the planet, taste it and smell it and touch it and feel it and have emotions and, and create things. And I said, oh, Oh my God! This is a creative place, and and our mission is to to come and create and have experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and it was interesting because in my maleness programming that I had at the time, I realized at that moment of reflection, I thought, Oh my God! As a male, guess what? I got programmed in my earliest years of my life not to be sensitive because. 
boys, of course, if you're sensitive, then you're a sissy. So what did we learn to do? Program the operation of the body to not be sensitive. <laughs> it's like, you missed <laughs> the vital mission and opportunity afforded on this planet was to be that sensitive, to, to touch and feel and smell and taste and love and hold and all that stuff, you know. And, and it's interesting because... Collectively in our civilization, that is the plight of males that have been programmed not to be that sensitive. And then to deal in a world where women who are sensitive and allowed to be sensitive uh, uh, then have a disconnect from the males because the males can't go there <laughs> because of the programming. And it's like, wow, what a disconnect mm -hmm. that programming has led to on this planet. A lot of matching. It doesn't work here so much, you know. Yeah. So Einstein stated the field is the sole governing agent of the particles. So this is what you're saying, that there's an invisible forces that are shaping matter. So what are these invisible forces, Bruce? Well, these are like the broadcast waves that that we've been receiving. But where this comes from, this is uh, we have to look at our belief system and how we live our life. Uh, personally, our personal beliefs govern exactly just how our, our immediate lives are concerned, our personal relationships, etc. Our but, perceptions. Uh, yes, and and yet our, we acquire perceptions from our culture. And, and what's different about uh, a cultural perception versus a personal perception? Personally, I'm just affecting really my own sphere of influence. I mean, I can't sit here today and say, today I want the whole world to live in peace and harmony, and like my perception is not going to change the world. I influence my own little field, so I live in peace and harmony in my world right here. Mm -hmm. But the issue is, what happens if in a collective population, large numbers share the same belief? And the answer is, then it becomes a cultural reality where large numbers of people sharing the same belief create a culture that expresses that belief. So personally, my beliefs create my own personal life, but collectively our cultural beliefs create our cultural lives. And what's happened is we now recognize that we have been programmed with misperceptions about life. I mean, uh, our scientific beliefs that uh, say that uh, the conventional science that we talk about is uh, like a Newtonian world, and that's a, a universe based on physical reality. That's the belief we, count, we come into in the science that we live with today, and it says the physical realm is the primal realm. Well, if that's the primal realm, then imagine people living in a culture where physical things represent your primacy, then that would say maybe the more physical things you have, the, the better you're living in your environment. So we're out there to get what? All the physical things we can get. How many Humvees you can have, how many Beamers you can have, how many big plasma screen TVs you can have, and you say, yes, see, I'm doing well in a mechanical material world. And then we find out, but that belief that material is primal was altered in 1925, but the, but the new science called quantum mechanics hasn't really made itself felt in the population. And quantum mechanics, as you brought up, uh, recognizes there's a material realm, but there's also an invisible realm, and that the, the, the two of them are entangled. And, in fact, the, the invisible realm is very influential in shaping the physical realm. Well, then we live in a world that science says, ignore the invisible realm. <laughs> That's Newtonian. But the new science says, oh, excuse me, the invisible realm is more important. It shapes the material realm. Mm -hmm. and, and the public doesn't know that. So what is that invisible realm that is quantum physics? And they're talking about consciousness. Mm -hmm. They're talking about how we, in our mind, create a, a world is what is manifesting in our face. I mean, that's quantum physics. The observer is not a passive person in the world. Every person in the world is an active participant but we didn't know it. And so when we change our beliefs and go from I'm a victim of forces outside of my control to the quantum mechanic who says, no, we're creating it, then you say, then I can be a master of my creation. The answer is yes. When the world accommodates this new awareness, then we can drop the concept of victim and guilt and all those things that go with that mm -hmm. and own if I know how I'm creating it, then I would create a world far better and healthier and happier and more in harmony than the one I have. And I say, mm -hmm. that evolution is at our, our, at our doorstep right mm -hmm. now. Uh, because we're all in the process of coming out of a trance that we're victims of the world and beginning to own from new science as well. No, we're creating. And when we own that, 
uh, I trust the creation of the mass population for a simple reason. Because if you went out and just asked a survey of 7 billion people, what do you want? And you find out 90, if not 99% of the people on the planet would say, I just want some freedom, I want some health and peace and harmony, you know, a, a place to sleep at secure at night and some food. And you find out, my God, people don't want that much, and yet what they want would create total harmony. And then you say, well, if 90% or more of the population wants that, then why is our world so filled with crises and crime and, and degradation and destruction? And it's like, because that's the way the world, and it turns out, no. That's just the belief that we bought, that uh, that Darwinian nightmare of a world where we, we're in a competition for our survival, where the fittest are the dominant ones, and the others fall by the wayside, eaten by the mm-hmm. by the bigger animals. So that's our belief of a world. Every day you wake up, you're going out in that jungle, you're scared to death because what day are you going to get eaten in this world, you know? And it's like, you know, that belief system, that was an educational belief that's not real, but mm-hmm. we bought it, we made it real, and then we look outside and say, just as we suspected, life is a struggle for our survival. Yeah. Like, but that's what you believe. It's a self-fulfilling Right, and the new science says, you know, evolution is not based on competition, that evolution is based on cooperation. And so it's like, oh my God, civilization has been running uh, 180 degrees away from evolution because we're so competitive, we're killing each other, when evolution is, we're so cooperative, we're so cooperative, we support each other. Mm-hmm. And and that transition phase is happening right now, so uh, I'm excited because the new book that is coming out called Spontaneous Evolution... Uh, is saying the first book, Biology Belief, says, yeah, your personal beliefs affect your personal life. And spontaneous evolution extends that and says, yeah, but what about cultural beliefs? Well, it creates a culture. And when we change our cultural beliefs, the civilization changes. Mm-hmm. And so w- what the new book says, guess what? We are immediately in the crux of the beliefs that we've been living by are found to be not sustainable. That's why mm-hmm. civilization is facing extinction. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, to be sustainable, then we must change the beliefs that have got us to this place. Well, then you look around and you say, yeah, uh, the healthcare crisis is manifesting, the economic collapse is uh, on the horizon, uh, the ecosphere is being traumatized and going extinct, uh, we're running out of fuel, and you look around and go, yeah, look at those things. They're they're collapsing, and you say, why? And the answer is, because those are the things that have brought us to the edge of our extinction, mm-hmm. that we can only survive by an upheaval of the current institutions that want to keep us on the old path as we create the institutions that will take us from a competitive fighting world into a cooperative, harmonious, holistic world so the end of one civilization, you see the fall of the system, but it doesn't mean it's the end of civilization. It's actually the recognition that we are approaching the new civilization. So the new book, uh, Spontaneous Evolution, t- talks about our positive future. It says, yeah, uh, while the press wants you to focus on, oh, be afraid, be afraid, what I would like you to understand is, hey, you want to live and survive and thrive into something much healthier? These things that are happening are necessary mm-hmm. because you can't build that sustainable future on the current foundation mm-hmm. because the current foundation is responsible for the problems. Mm-hmm. So it's like, guess what? We're right on track. Mm-hmm. We're right on the edge of an evolution. And what's neat is that you go in the textbook and we talk about the concept of a Darwinian evolution. Oh, yeah, millions of years of infinitely little small changes that ultimately over millions of years manifest something different the new insights of evolution reveal that's not how evolution works evolution goes along like a steady pace for a while and then hits a crisis a wall a challenge that threatens civilization or life at that time and then upheaval occurs and then virtually instantaneously new life forms this has happened five times in the history of the planet, life essentially got wiped out under crises such as a comet hitting the earth and causing an environmental upheaval. Uh, life almost gets wiped out and then starts all over fresh, almost instantaneously with all new life forms. So 
the belief that evolution is slow and gradual, taking millions of years, says, no, it's not. It's virtually instantaneous and occurs at the moment of crisis, shakes that situation so much that you must take this step. Well, we're on that doorstep. We're on that step talking about evolutionary upheavals in our vision right in front of us, right now, that will manifest over the next couple of years, that even perhaps by the expected date of 2012, transformation can occur. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because people have misunderstood the 2012 thing. It's not the end of life. It's end of civilization as we've known it and the beginning of another civilization. So, uh, And it's interesting because you can't have that transformation unless it's preceded by a period of chaos mm-hmm. in which the old structure is turned under to allow for the foundation of the new structure to manifest so it says between now and 2012, guess what? This is upheaval time. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, as I said, if you focus on the upheaval, you're mistaking your emphasis, and that will generate fear. Yes, you're looking at the appearance. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and since perceptions of life adjust our biology, if you live in fear, you will adjust a biology that's a fear-based biology, and that inevitably uh, is the emphasis of stress, and we now know that Ninety uh, percent of all human illness is, is primarily due to stress. Mm-hmm. So it says, well, if you think people are sick now, <laughs> if they don't, if they don't uh, let go of this stress and this fear, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot worse for a lot of people. But those so that can let go. Speak a little bit about um, how chaos. Uh, the difference between um, you know, chaos has patterns that work in it, right, for recreating. And also that these imaginal cells, I love the way you said that, imaginal cells are being stimulated. Yeah. Um, when I talked about uh, the nature and biology belief, I talked about cells as actually being like miniature humans. I mean, every function that we express in our human body, virtually every cell in our body has every one of those functions. Uh, they have brains. They move around in the world. They read their environment. They live in community. They know when it's healthy and harmonious, and cells know when it's not well. So uh, cells are like miniature people. And then I say, okay, in, in our universe, there's an interesting thing. We talk about there are no new stories, which... Uh, means that patterns repeat themselves in, in nature, and uh, there's a reason for that because underlying the structure of nature is geometry, which is a math of structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the geometry of nature is called fractal geometry, mm-hmm. and it's not the one we learned in school with Euclidean geometry with like uh, cubes and, and cylinders and boxes and three-dimensional objects. Uh, fractal geometry is different. But it, it is a geometry that is inherently has what is called as above, so below built into the uh, geometry that the images repeat themselves in similar or self-like patterns as you go up and down the, the level of organization. Now you say, why is that relevant? Well, no new stories. The patterns repeat themselves. So what is what can I pattern can I relate civilization to right now? And the answer is this. Um, uh, a caterpillar... Uh, is going along its life. And inside that caterpillar are, are a billion cells. And those cells are like individual people. So inside the caterpillar in the world of cells, it's like our world when we look at each other in our community. Inside, they have a little world of cells, a little community like that. They're all working. They all have jobs. They're, they're building. The caterpillar is growing. So the environment and economy is in a state of growth, and everybody's happy. Everybody's working every day, and the system is, is building and building, and everybody gets so excited this caterpillar is growing. And then one day, uh, the caterpillar stops growing so fast. The cells inside start looking around going, hey, you know, they're, they're laying off cells. Uh, there's not a lot going on. <laughs> the, the cells start to, the jobs start closing down. The cells start getting anxious. Why? The world as they know it is undergoing a dissolution. If you're in that population, you'll observe many cells actually commit suicide, which in biological terms is called apoptosis. Cells actually pull the plug on themselves. Boom, they die. So there's this turmoil. The caterpillar community is falling apart. The cells are, you know, are scared. Cells are dying. Uh, and in the midst of all that, there are uh, individual cells that are equivalent of stem cells. They're called imaginal cells, and I love it. That's their name. Uh, inside the uh, population. Now, imaginal cells are genetically identical, the same as all the other cells, but they see the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the other cells are in fear. The whole structure is falling apart. The imaginal cells are saying, wait, wait, we can rebuild this <laughs> in a different and better, higher level of organization. And the imaginal cells start growing. The population gets more of those, and then they start uh, uh, helping the other cells in the system restructure. 
And from the death and decay of the dying caterpillar is built this beautiful butterfly, a much higher level of organization. And so from the death of the caterpillar emerges the life of the butterfly. Civilization is an equivalent of the final stages of caterpillar. <laughs> and it's starting to fall apart. And many of the cells are out there going, oh my God, this thing is falling apart. And yet, many of the cells, like yourself, KG, are out there saying, wait, no, there's another vision. There's another way. There's a way of doing this better. And while the structure is coming down, which is necessary, because you can't build the butterfly from a caterpillar. You have to start the structure over again. The, the structure that is coming down is being transformed or morphed by these imaginal cells, which in people we can give them a name like uh, cultural creatives, for example. Visionaries. Uh, people, uh, imagine, yeah, all these visionaries, imaginary people imagining imaginal cells. A better, different future with a different technology and a different way of life and a different relationship and building that. So our issue is today, you have a choice. As you see the world falling behind, you could stay the caterpillar cell and live in fear like, oh my God, the structure is falling, and it will. Or you can say, it's time to think and behave differently <laughs> and adopt a new way of life and a new consciousness and start to become those imaginal cells of the next evolution of civilization, which is the equivalent more of the butterfly level. We're expanding our consciousness as recognizing that we are all creators, not mm -hmm. the, the few that have been leading us. Mm -hmm. And we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And as I said, you take a survey of the entire population and you find that 90% or more of us want to live in peace, harmony, and happiness. If those people become the creators of the world rather than the few that have been manipulating us, mm -hmm then the world will manifest that. And so I sit here as the world is coming down going, cool, all right. Why? Because we can get to that other world once you break this down enough and build this better vision of harmony and community and self-empowerment. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the message and the take-home thing that we have to learn that uh, we have been programmed to be victims and passive in this thing. When the new science comes out and says, geez, that's a program, and you're actually masters, and, and as a master, you can program anything. You can program victim, or you can program creator. Mm -hmm. uh, that's your choice. Yes, it's a choice. That's a choice. So is that the purpose of the, the genes, then? Because the genes, it gives us potential choices, right? The, the, the genes are structural materials to build a house, okay, a, a vehicle. Uh, and, but it, the genes don't necessarily tell you how you're going to use the vehicle and what's right. going to become of the vehicle. Right. That's where the individual programming comes in. So, yes, genes are important. They give you two arms, two legs, a head, eyes, and all the machinery. But now that you've got the machinery, uh, uh, what are you going to do with that machinery? Uh, so I say, like, uh, two cars come off, let's say, the, the BMW plant. Two cars roll off the assembly line. They're both identical cars. And one of them is owned by a mature individual who lives in harmony with life and takes care of their life and everything. And the other is picked up and bought by a hothead teenager. And both cars leave the driver driven off. And I can tell you what. <laughs> comes a very short time, the car that's going to end up in the junkyard is going to be the one driven by the hothead teenager. And the other car is going to have a long, happy, sustainable life. And the, why I'm bringing this up is our bodies are like vehicles. Mm -hmm. The genes give us the vehicles, but our minds are the drivers. Mm -hmm. So we've been given a vehicle, and if we take care of it, it will last 140 years or more. That's our uh, understanding should be our average age now uh, of life. Uh, the, the significance about that is, but if you give it to somebody who doesn't know how to drive the vehicle and use behaviors like stepping on the gas and then slamming on the brakes and, and doing that, and uh, if you drive your vehicle behaviorally like that, you will destroy your, your physical body as much as you would destroy a mechanical car. And the evolution that comes before us is we were programmed by people to get in a vehicle and run it for them and destroy it for them. And we are now coming of an age where we're giving a new manual about how to drive the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Where if you understand the new driver education, you can take this car and, and tune it up and keep it running like a top and have it live for 70, 80 more years than even medicine has thought about up to now. So um, this is 
is our evolutionary time, uh, but we have to take back the control, and that's and the control comes from knowledge. Knowledge is power, and the new knowledge is knowledge of self, which by definition is self empowerment. And so, as soon as we learn this new knowledge, we will leave behind victim and uh, move forward as creator. So what is the significance of conscious parenting then in all this and programming a child's genes, intelligence, and behavior? Well, <laughs> that is a wonderful question because that's the crux of all of our problems. Because I said uh, our mind runs the show, but we have two minds. We have the conscious and the subconscious. The conscious mind is the creative mind. It has our wishes, wants, and desires. The subconscious mind is based on learned experiences of life. Well, the significance is... Uh, yes, the mind, conscious and subconscious, collectively shape our lives. And yet, now what neuroscience has found, and this is like the wake-up call, it says, yeah, but uh, the conscious mind, which is the creative mind that has our wishes and desires in it, runs the uh, the system as the driver less than 5% of the time. So that says uh, we're generally driving the vehicle to where we want it to go somewhere between 1% and 5% of the time. 95 to 99 percent of the time it's on autopilot the driving is done by the subconscious mind and then we say yeah but where did the programs of those subconscious programs come from and then we go back and say when we were born from the last half of our fetal development through the first six years of our lives the subconscious is programmed by just downloading experiences of life into the subconscious and the experiences are by observing other people. Mm-hmm. So it says that your subconscious beliefs and programs are programmed by your personal life experiences in the first six years. And those programs become the predominant programs in your subconscious. And those programs run you 95% of the time. And all of a sudden you realize, well, my God, then whatever programs you got in your first six years are the programs that are going to shape your lives. And then you go back and you recognize, for the first six years, we got such crummy programming from our parents and our community, most of the programming of disempowerment. Like, who do you think you are? You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't deserve things. You're not lovable. You're not good at music. Which are recurring patterns that they absorb from their parents. I mean, I think we absorb things in utero. We start absorbing patterns. Exactly, that's what I was talking about, that the uh, the programs start in utero, and the simple reason is this. We talk about the fetus, uh, de- the genes control the development of a fetus, and then we say that the role of the mother is just to provide nutrition from her blood to feed the fetus. Well, when we believed in genes control life, genetic control, that made sense, and the role of the mother was, hey, just give it the nutrition. But now epigenetic control says, no, the environment, the interpretation of the environment is what controls the genes. And then we say, oh, well, then the environment that the fetus lives in is the mother's environment. And I go, yeah. And I say that in addition to nutrition, the mother's blood also contains the emotional chemicals and the hormones and yeah. the growth factors and the regulators of her biology. So why that becomes important is that, well, then the mother is not just providing the child, the fetus, with nutrition. The mother is providing the fetus with information. Because the, whatever the mother is feeling, those chemicals cross over and uh, and affect the fetus. If the mother is happy, the fetus is happy. Yes. If the mother is in fear, the fetus is in fear. If the mother rejects the child because it's going to create a problem in the life or the family, then the fetus is growing in a, an environment of rejection. And now we know, guess what? That information that is relayed by the parent is via epigenetics, mm-hmm. selecting the genetic programming of the fetus of, of the behavior and characteristics of that child. Mm-hmm. So uh, science has recognized as a fact that the diseases we get in adulthood, like obesity, cancer, Alzheimer's, and things like that, they were primarily programmed in the first six years of our lives in how we learned to respond to the environment by observing others mm-hmm. and responding to others. Mm-hmm. And then we realize, oh, the 95% of our life is controlled by the subconscious behaviors, and most of those were programmed by other people who told us who we were or who we weren't. Yes. 
And then 95% of our life comes from the invisible programming. And then we wonder, how come if I want to have this wonderful relationship, it's not here in my life? And you think, well, if I'm controlling my life, that person would be here. And then we say, yeah, but that person you're looking for is coming from the 5% of your creative mind. Mm -hmm. And your life is running 95% from your subconscious mind with programs that your parents gave you that maybe you're not good enough. So now you're unconsciously play, pro, playing programs not good enough. How could you expect that person you were looking for to come into your life when you yourself are playing invisibly, subconscious programs not good enough? The person you're looking for, of course, would want somebody who was good enough. <laughs> so, right. uh, you can't get there because your own behavior is invisibly keeping yeah. you from getting there. Yeah, it's a disconnect. There's a Absolutely. dissonance there. It's not, you're not congruent. No, but you don't see it. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's what I say, like in my lectures, that yeah. it, it's, a, it's a point of humor, but it's not humor. It's profound. Mm -hmm. And it goes like this. Uh, I say in the lecture, uh, you have a very close and dear friend. You know your friend's behavior. You know your friend's parent. And at some point you recognize that your friend shares the same behavior as their parent. And so one day you volunteer to your friend. You go, you know, Bill, you're just like your dad. That's when you back away from Bill because... The first thing Bill's going to inevitably say is, how can you compare me to my dad? And it's a joke because most people who made you know that suggestion to their friend then have heard the backlash of their friend saying, how can you compare me to my parent? And everybody laughs because they're familiar with it, but then I say, it's not a joke. It's more profound than I can tell you for the simple reason. Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. They can see his behavior. Bill is the one who's upset, says, how can you compare my dad? And the reason is this, because he got that behavior in his subconscious mind by observing his dad. He plays it 95% of the time because it's of the subconscious programming, but because it's subconscious, he doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. So he is totally in shock mm -hmm. when you can say that. But then what I'm, the profound point is this, everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. It's Bill who doesn't see it, but then it relates to us. We are programmed to play behaviors that we got from other people. We don't see it. And when we're even told that we have those behaviors, we're almost in shock that, who are you talking about? <laughs> and the, the profound nature is, look, our behaviors are, are playing invisibly. We don't see them. Yes. They're unconscious. They're the things that prevent us from getting to where we want to go, not the universe. And if we correct those behaviors then rewrite those behaviors, then we will create the world we want, not the one that other people have programmed us to believe in. So how do we become aware of those behaviors if they're unconscious to change them? Well, sometimes we're aware of it, you know. Sometimes people say, oh, my God, that guy pushed my buttons and look at this behavior. I'm so, so it's more I'm the so response. by my own behavior. Yes. <laughs> and that is, ah, oh, well, you notice your behavior. There it goes. Yes. There's the first step. And it's becoming called self-conscious. Mm -hmm. And what a self-conscious means, it says, instead, you see, the conscious mind is different than the subconscious mind. The conscious mind has a unique ability. It can think into the future. It can go back into the past and relive the past. It can solve problems. And what is the subconscious mind? It's got habits. It pushes the button to place a habit. It's mm -hmm. not in the past. It's not in the future. It's always here in the now. Mm -hmm. So if your conscious mind daydreams for a second, the moment it's daydreaming, then the operations are now run by the subconscious because that's still here running the show. But when you're daydreaming, you're not seeing it because you're daydreaming. So basically it says in the subconscious program, you didn't observe it. But what if you did observe it? What if you were self-conscious enough to be self-reflective so you were watching what you were doing? And here's the joke. I love this part because almost all of us inevitably had a period in our life where we were self-conscious where we were observing it and not letting those automatic programs run and here's here's what I'm going to say when I tell you when that time was I'm not going to say right now when it was in a minute I will but I will tell you when I tell you when that time occurred I want you to go back and look at your life and, and answer the question were you healthy did you have a lot of energy did life go so well that you couldn't wait to wake up every day to be there to start it all over again and that it was literally heaven on earth and I'm going to say, you answer those questions when I tell you, when was that time period? And I'm going to say, the day you fell head over heels in love with somebody. Mm -hmm. That day, which is beginning a period I call the honeymoon. Mm -hmm. 
when you were in living in that honeymoon, you had more energy. That, I mean, you could make love for days in a row. <laughs> I mean, you had so 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 much uh, happiness going on. You couldn't wait to wake up to get back into that next day to be with this person and share that honeymoon where life was going your way and everything. And then uh, I want you to stop and recognize something. That was not a coincidence, and that was not an accident. You created that. Your life could be that way every day of your life. But you have to say that, how come the honeymoon was so beautiful when before I met that person, the day before I met them, if you would have asked me how life was, I would have said, eh, it's not that great. i say, how you feel? Eh, not that good. Uh, you got concerns of fears? Yeah, I'm fierce and all that stuff. And then the day after you meet this person, say, how are you feeling? Oh, man, am I healthy and fabulous. This is the most right. wonderful thing that happened. And I say, okay, from the day before when you were a victim and life sucked and now all of a sudden you fell in love and the day after that you were walking in heaven and living heaven and I say that was not a coincidence it's because and here's the reason when you fall in love and you want to present your best side to this person because you want this person to see who you really want to be the person you lo- in your mind you want to be and so basically what that means is not only are you now thinking about what you want to be, but you're looking at yourself and making sure that you are being what you want to be. Mm-hmm. So I give the, the funny one is like, okay, the day before you meet this person, how long does it take you to get dressed for that day? And you say, well, I was out of the house in 10 minutes. And I say, okay, the, the first date, you're going to go out with this person that is just blowing your mind. And you're going to go out with a date on this, with this person. I say, how long does it take you to get dressed for the date? And if you say 10 minutes, I know you're not telling the truth. Because you may have spent an hour or two. I said, so, wait, what was different? Well, yesterday you got dressed by habit. You know how to put your clothes on without thinking about it. Today, everything you put on, you looked in the mirror. That was being self-reflective. You were looking at yourself, mm-hmm. and you were being conscious. Oh, I want it to look exactly this way. I mean, today I want it to all be exactly right. Oh, well, now it's, you know, an hour or two to get dressed. Why? Because... You're so checking yourself. You're having a conversation with this person on the way to dinner. I can bet you you were weighing out the words. You were thinking about what you were going to say before you said it because you wanted to come out the way like you wanted it. You wanted it to be poetry for this other person so they would just look at you and go, oh, I want that person. <laughs> and you wanted to be that person. So guess what? You thought about what you were saying. You watched yourself getting dressed. Uh, at the table, I bet you didn't wipe your face with your sleeve. It probably blotted it very daintily with your napkin. And it was like, guess what? You did not rely on habit. You were running the show live time. You were the guy behind the wheel. You had your hand on the wheel. You're driving this vehicle. You're not sitting in the back seat. And guess what? When you were driving it with your conscious wishes and desires, you created heaven. It's called the honeymoon. But the honeymoon fades for this reason. Because then even the partners in that wonderful relationship, at some, ta- at some time, real life converges back in. They think, oh, my God, I have a job. i I got to pay the rent. i got to get the car fixed. i got to take care of this. And i got the schedule. And, and all of a sudden, the mind, instead of staying focused, the conscious mind, instead of being self-reflective, that moment, the conscious mind starts running off into space and trying to solve these problems the conscious mind is not there at the moment it's solving a problem and then your loved one comes up to you you've had this great honeymoon relationship your conscious mind now is momentarily busy solving a work problem let's say and your partner comes up that you've just been so wonderful with for the last 10 days asks you a question and you respond but your conscious mind didn't make the response your conscious mind was focusing on a problem so you made a response with your subconscious mind and said yeah but whose behavior is that it's like oh you got that from somebody else like your mom or your dad's behavior and all of a sudden you respond to this person with this behavior that they've never seen because you've been conscious and running the show up to this moment and all of a sudden in this moment where your mind is drifting solving a problem you respond to your partner with the behavior that was programmed in your subconscious mind by somebody else and your partner sees this response and goes what kind of be what kind of response is that? <laughs> of course, you just made the response, and you're thinking, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Well, what kind of behavior is that?" You say, "What are you talking about? I've always been this way." Oh, wait a minute! You didn't know that you just played a subconscious behavior, so you were playing somebody else's behavior. You didn't see it. Mm-hmm. 
and you wouldn't think you would ever do that because that wouldn't be in your conscious mind. So you take offense that somebody just accused you of something. Now this honeymoon is a little bit rocky at this moment because guess what? We introduce the the uh, habitual patterns of the subconscious that haven't played and they're played by somebody else. So now there's not two people in the relationship. There are four people in the relationship. Or more. <laughs> uh, I mean, or projection. More. Yeah, uh, I mean, projection uh, is a pretty complica- complex. Right. Uh, the, the two that were the honeymoon lovers are now all of a sudden uh, re- uh, are replaced by the habit mind, which runs the show 95% of the time and is programmed by somebody else. And the relationship turns not the same honeymoon. And then some balances and things occur over life, but it's not that honeymoon. It's not the heaven. And I say, yeah, but you created the heaven. And how how come it ended? And the answer is because we resorted or reverted back to not being in the conscious mind. We reverted back to that habit mind. Mm -hmm. And and then all of a sudden I say, well, what? Just consider this possibility. Mm -hmm. If you rewrote the habit mind so that it reflected what you believe you are in your conscious mind. So that means that those wonderful attributes you held in your conscious mind could be automatic tapes in the subconscious mind. And then you say, well, what would that mean? It means like, well, you could be daydreaming and still be the most wonderful, happy, beautiful person you were in the honeymoon. And you could have that the entire time. So a honeymoon could go on for years. And and I, I say that only being a delighted person in a 12-year honeymoon right now. Mm-hmm. Because it was a matter of choice. But it was also a matter of recognition. Mm-hmm. And it was a matter of knowledge and awareness. And we all have this opportunity to learn this. And the crises that face us right now are the things that are going to push us to either learn it or go by the wayside. And I think that's what uh, is immediately facing us right now. Yeah, well, relationships do help us to heal and become more whole. There's no doubt about that. They provide a wonderful mirror. Well, that that's what evolution was all about. Our old vision is we're all individuals fighting to be the fittest among all of them, competing with each other. When the new science of evolution says, no, it wasn't based on competition and fighting. It was learning relationships and harmony and community. So, mm-hmm. of course, that's the lesson that we're moving into. Mm-hmm. So from the perspective of the new biology, what is an autoimmune disease? Well, when I say autoimmune disease, I mean a disease that results when your own immune system, which is supposed to protect you, actually launches an aggressive response that actually damages you. So what was supposed to be keeping harmony and peace can be tipped the other way and cause a total imbalance in the system and cause the destruction of the system. Mm-hmm. So like allergies, are, for example, are autoimmune diseases, mm-hmm. like uh, people that are like affected by poison oak or poison ivy. The oil on the poison plant really isn't very toxic, but our immune response over-aggressively responds to that, and the over-aggressive response of the immune system launches an attack that's so great that it's actually more destructive than helpful, so that we start to uh, cause uh, destruction of ourselves. All those blisters and things that show up on the skin and the destruction of the skin wasn't because of the oil, it was because of the immune response was too aggressive. Mm-hmm. But we also know like uh, arthritis and, and issues like Alzheimer's and, and things now, all these other diseases are being linked to the immune system, including mm-hmm. cancer. So it says, wait, autoimmune means our own immune system is attacking ourselves, mm-hmm. but our immune system responds to our perceptions. And so it basically says, in fact, the current name for really understanding the immune system is not, in biology we say the immune system, but the new understanding is actually the immune system is is more effectively preferred to be called psychoneuroimmunology. And immunology means operation of the immune system. Neuroimmunology means the brain is regulating the activity of the neurosystem, neuroimmunology. But psychoneuroimmunology is a collective that means your psychology adjusts the action of your brain, which in turn adjusts the action of your immune system. And so it says that when we perceive a disharmonious world and a threatening world, that frequently we take that disharmony on the inside and manifest it as a disharmony where the immune system becomes self-destructive, where the cells kill each other. Mm -hmm. And then it's interesting because then you look what's going on in the outer world that we live in, and we see that people are killing each other. And the relevance is this. While we see ourselves as individual elements, the new evolution reveals we as individual people are ourselves 
in a larger super organism that's evolving called humanity. So the organism called humanity, a multicellular organism where we're the individual cells, is itself right now expressing autoimmune disease. Will humanity survive? And the answer is, can we get the self-destruction under control? Can we take the world that we're living in where not only are we killing each other, we're destroying the environment? And if we get that back into harmony, then that reverberation of that vibration will, in our bodies, also quell the self-destruction of autoimmune diseases that is the biggest cause of illness on this planet today. Mm-hmm. So it says if we fix our outer world, our inner world will naturally come in alignment and harmony with that. So the evolution that we're, we're coming into, the evolution of knowing we're all part of one large whole system mm-hmm. that thrives by our community, by our cooperation, when we live that life, then the internal equivalent called autoimmune disease that is destructive of our biology will also disappear. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to heal on the inside and the outside mm-hmm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems like self-love and uh, self-forgiveness are big um, elements. Of right, and, we, and self-forgiveness has to come back to this reality. We There's a driving manual how to drive a biological body. Mm-hmm. Our driver education has been taught to us by other people. If other people teach you uh, techniques of how to drive the, vi- the vehicle that destroy the vehicle, uh, and then we blame ourselves for it, and the fact was, no, look, we got this education from other people. Uh, once we become aware that we are driving the vehicle incorrectly, that awareness then says, now you have a choice. You become aware that you're not driving it well and your you know, incorrect operation is causing health issues and disease issues. If you become aware that you're the driver of the vehicle and you know this, then guess what? That's where you have a choice. You can be personally responsible and say, well, then I'm going to change the way I drive the vehicle. Then take over manual control of the vehicle and drive it. Or you could just say, oh, it's still out of my control, and then be the victim and then go by the wayside. So you have a choice. You can be victim or you can own responsibility once you have awareness. There's no blame or guilt. Can't blame my, I cannot go back and blame my parents because they program me with lousy programming. And the reason is because their programming was lousy programming from their parents and that was passed on from whatever. So we're living out generations, a thousand years of bad programming. Yeah. Uh, the blame is irrelevant. It's like, self-awareness says, oh, I don't need blame, I just need to take responsibility mm-hmm. because if once I do that, I can create heaven on this planet, and I can say that from a user because, boy, my life has certainly uh, changed once I, I, I took the information from conscious awareness and put it into subconscious programming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I, the basic building blocks of life, the cells, the way they organize in communities and we know that it's healthy, right? We have yeah. wonderful self-healing capabilities. Miraculous yeah. healing. I mean, not just healing, but I mean, you could be terminally ill with a cancer that everybody says you're going to die, and the ability is so capable. I mean, the system's healing ability, it could create what's called a spontaneous remission. Mm-hmm. So basically, the only obstacles to our healing are the belief that we can't heal, which mm-hmm. is a program we got from other and that's disempowering. So could you give a brief explanation of um, evolution based on fractal geometry? Yeah. Uh, it basically goes like this. Um, geometry is the math, how you put structure in the space. Uh, and while we did geometry in the classroom, it was called Euclidean geometry with a graph paper, and we marked the dots and connected the lines and made objects in space. Uh, that kind of geometry that we used in school doesn't make the real world. I mean, uh, it makes buildings and houses and things like that, mechanical man-made things, but uh, can you use Euclidean geometry to make a tree? And the answer is no. But think about this. We did when we were infants. We used Euclidean geometry to make a tree. We made like a cylinder for the trunk and a ball for the top uh, in that kindergarten class. But the reality, that's not what nature looks like. Nature doesn't use that geometry. It uses a different geometry, a different principle of putting structure in space. And it's called fractal geometry. And, and 
with fractal geometry, it's a very simple equation that's repeated infinitely. And in the process of mapping out the equation as you repeat it infinitely, you get the most magnificent, beautiful structures. They're almost mesmerizing when you see these fractal images on a computer. But it turns out fractal geometry is the geometry of nature because I can throw an equation into the computer using fractal geometry and create a, a lifelike tree or a plant or an animal that you'd look at and say, oh, my God, that's, that's like a real nature thing. And it's like, no, no, it's actually just numbers put into a, uh, into a computer equation. So it, it says that geometry of creating the planet is called fractal geometry, but inherent in that geometry is because you repeat the same equation over and over again, that the structure of the universe repeats itself uh, in self-similar fashions at higher or lower levels of the universe's organization. So I'll give you a, a parallel structure. The structure and function of the cell and the structure and function of the human are almost exactly the same. All the things that I can do as a human, a cell can do almost all of them. It can move around. It can, it can make decisions. It eats. It, it digests food. It breathes. It has a, a defecation. It, it avoids toxins. It moves into community. It's like, okay, they're self-similar. Relevance. If you know how a structure works at one level then because they're fractal in their geometry, as above, so below, if you have an insight from one level, then it's fundamental to creating any other level, be it higher or lower in the organization. Relevance? You look at a human body. Well, we see a single living, living human body. The truth is uh, that's because our eyes can't see with a, uh, with a high enough magnification because if your eyes could see like a microscope and look at your body, you'd, you don't see a human whole one thing. You see a community of 50 trillion cells. Every cell has a job. Every cell gets paid. There's the, they get paid, actually. Every cell uh, gets health care. There's an economy and a politic in a body. And then you say, well, what's the significance? Well, if you can get 50 trillion cells to live in harmony in that under that skin, uh, using the same principles in a fractal world, and apply them to civilization, you could easily get a few billion people on the entire planet's surface to live in harmony uh, because there's much denser population under the skin. And the, uh, the interesting part about it is the answers lie within. That's an old <laughs> mystical insight. And the truth is, yes, you want to see how a few and a half billion live? Look inside the, the body and see those, tra- those trillions of cells living in community and harmony and recognize this. Truly, uh, uh, a community where no cell is left behind. That's true. Mm-hmm. And, and if you understand the politics and the economy of how the cell manages its world and apply it to our world, then we will live in that harmony. And think about it. In a healthy body, 50 trillion cells are t- simultaneously blissed out and healthy. Mm-hmm. And in our world, if we would live in that nature of that community and harmony, then that means 7 billion people can be blissed out and live in harmony on the planet without the need for war or violence or aggression, which is the current Darwinian kind of belief that we live under now. Mm-hmm. So it says our evolution is going to manifest that parallel. And if we know that now, then we can start using the guidelines and move into that community. So it basically says, well, I could I can make a book and say, the world is coming, the civilization as we know is coming to an end, and I can give you the reasons, which I do in the book. But then that would be just like, oh, my God, another ending, another fear. And it's like, no, 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 because this book is different, because it says, but if you understand the nature of how the universe is created and geometry and evolution, then you recognize, oh, my God, we're in a transition phase, and we're going to a better place. Mm-hmm. And the answers to how to get there are right under our noses or, more accurately, under our skin. Mm-hmm. And, and so it says that future that we dream about, it's already there under the skin. Mm-hmm. We just take the, the principles of how that environment and how that society lives, apply it on the mass scale, yeah. and this planet's going to spontaneously evolve into a healthy, happy, living organism called Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to close today. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with us before? Well, we... I, I just very quickly, just say that a lot of the stuff we just glossed over, there's a lot of real science behind this stuff. 
my website, brucelipton.com, has a lot of articles you can download and read about all this stuff. So just go to the mm-hmm. website and look that up. And, and you and have a spontaneous evolution seminar on Hay House Radio this Thursday. This oh, yeah, that's an exciting thing as well. So it's just another opportunity to... Uh, to put the details of uh, this evolution, uh, uh, to actually put it into working operation, because we're not passive in this world. Each of us is a creator, but what we haven't recognized to the civilization up at this moment, we have given our creative rights to others and allowed them to create for us. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? The whole fear? The fear? or No, because people knew that you could manipulate other people. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. interesting. The programming that we talked about from the first six years of life starting in fetal generation uh, up to six, this is not a new awareness that people are programmed. Uh, the, the Jesuits have said that for 1,500 years. You, you give me a child, I'll show you the man. Uh, or you give me a child, and, and for the first six years of its life, and it will belong to the church for the rest of its life. People knew back then mm-hmm. you could program an individual's life. Do you think that information just disappeared one day? It, it, it's been manipulated. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why 90% or more of the people on this planet would love to live in peace, harmony, and happiness where everybody gets along, and yet we live in a world that's built on strife and violence and crime and, and guns and all this stuff. Why? Because a small percentage of the people are actually running it, and the large number are not. And you say, why not? Because the small people from that 1,500 years ago always knew that they can manipulate the world by manipulating your education and manipulating your cultural experiences, and by doing that, control you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so all of a sudden we live in a world that the majority don't want this world, then why do we have it? The answer is because the majority have been unconsciously programmed to buy the beliefs and control from a minority of people. Mm-hmm. And the evolution, we're pulling away from that. People are disconnecting. They're not reading the newspapers. Thank God they're taking, you know, hopefully they're moving away from television. Because this is where the the narrow, small number of people that manipulate the media control the large numbers of mass that watch mm-hmm. the media. Mm-hmm. Because we've been programmed to accept that as truth when it's... Yeah, there's so many alternatives now for... (laughs) I look at Fox News and I think, you guys call this the news, that you're you're creating another reality. This is not news, this is your absolute, your negative creation, which I see, because you call it news, but people believe it is news, and then when you go back to and recognize, they're making it up. (laughs) Yet, when they make it up, it becomes our real world. Yes, yes. To learn more about Dr. Bruce Lipton and his pioneering work, please visit his website, where you can also learn about his upcoming events, subscribe to his newsletter, and more. That website address is brucelipton.com. Have a beautiful day, everyone. A warm mahalo. Thanks again for joining us, Bruce. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so very much. I so appreciate it.